Okay, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to get into a whole new series today. But 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 12, and we're going to read this passage together. If you're joining us here in person, you're going to see it behind me on the screen. If you're joining us online, you will find it on your screen at home. But 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 12. Okay, this is God's word. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one, and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we give you all the glory, and we worship you, and we thank you, Lord, for this gathering. We thank you for the amazing work that you are doing around the world, and how you invite us to join whether it's right here in Riverside uh, on Easter weekend, whether, whether it's across the globe in Malawi or elsewhere, Father, you are on the move, and we want to be a part. So, Lord God, thank you so much. Thank you for the church. Uh, thank you that you are always dwelling with your people. The church is your house. It is your temple. So, Lord God, we know you're here. Please meet us. Please speak through this word. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, today we're very excited to start an entire new series, like I said, on spiritual gifts. And I've taught on this topic before, but this is the very first time that we're doing a whole series on it. So congratulations, you're my guinea pig. (laughs) So uh, as we work through this fascinating, important, and at times controversial topic, we're going to be learning uh, together as we go through this. But why? Why are we looking at spiritual gifts starting today? Well, as we can see immediately from our passage in 1 Corinthians 12, without spiritual gifts, and what I mean by that is without understanding what they are and exercising them, the church cannot function. It is as simple as that. It cannot mature. It cannot grow. In other words, without spiritual gifts, the church cannot be the church. I almost said amen. That's not an amen. But we can't be the church, which, by the way, is the theme of this year. You see it on your bulletin. But we are called to be the church. And we simply cannot do that unless we understand and exercise spiritual gifts. See, this is why Paul said at the very top of our passage, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Another word for uninformed is ignorant. You might see that in your Bible translation. But I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts, church. See, Paul's pleading with them. Why? Why? Because without spiritual gifts, the church cannot function. 
We literally cannot do the things that we're called to do. And this is why I want to spend time for the next several weeks learning about spiritual gifts. If we want to be the church this year, and I'm hoping that all of you guys are on the same page, but if we want to be the church this year, we must understand and exercise our spiritual gifts. And I'm talking about personally. You need to discover and know your spiritual gifts and begin to walk in them, begin to do them. Again, this is why God commanded the church through Paul, do not be ignorant about spiritual gifts. That's a command. See, if you don't know anything about it, if you're like, I don't know if this is for me, then you are disobeying that command. And yet, spiritual gifts can also be potentially divisive in the church. And so in one regard, we absolutely need it to be the church. And in another regard, we got to be very careful. They can be potentially divisive. They can pull the church and individuals away from God's will, not towards it. Okay, why? Why are spiritual gifts like that? Well, first, it's because there can be a lot of unhealthy interest in spiritual gifts. We're commanded to desire the gifts. So if you read later in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul directly commands the church, desire them. It is good to desire them. But we know people go, okay, and then they have unhealthy desires, right? All kinds of ungodly, carnal desires for spiritual gifts. And that was true in the Corinthian church. And this is true today. So you see that everywhere. People have a very natural, ungodly interest in spiritual gifts. So unlike things like celibacy or martyrdom, spiritual gifts really are interesting to people. People seek them out. I mean, when's the last time you saw a book on celibacy at the bookstore? You're probably not often, right? Very precious few are written on celibacy. <laughs> the true godly warriors, right, are the ones who are reading those books thinking, God, are you calling me to this? That's a whole other issue. <laughs> but how many books have you seen written on spiritual gifts in the bookstore? Shelves upon shelves. And so you know that. I remember back in the 1990s, many of you guys don't remember the 90s because you weren't born yet, <laughs> but I do. But back in the 90s, I remember almost every Christian I met was working their way through the spiritual gift survey. And what is that? Well, a spiritual gift survey is a tool that helps you to discover your spiritual gifts. I remember one popular one was developed by Peter Wagner, but everybody was taking that uh, survey. So people were interested in these gifts. They were naturally seeking them out, and this was before the Internet. You couldn't just go online and get one. You had to actually walk into a bookstore and buy the pamphlet I know how medieval is that, right? Before the internet, ridiculous. But that's what people did. So people have a natural fascination in this topic. It's not hard to see why. It's because the moment someone goes spiritual gifts, you immediately think about who? Yourself. Oh, I wonder what gifts I have. I wonder what gifts God has blessed me with. I wonder what gifts I can show others. Maybe they're going to be cooler ones, right? More noticeable ones than the other person that I know. And so immediately we think about ourselves, and as dumb as that sounds, that's exactly what the Corinthian church was struggling with. But people in that church were particularly fascinated by the gift of speaking in tongues, so they were just really fascinated by that. I can imagine them asking one another, who has it? Who doesn't have it? Who has more of it? Who has less of it? So they were just fascinated. And all of that was divisive. It was tearing the church apart. And this leads to the second reason why spiritual gifts can oftentimes be divisive. There tends to be a lot of controversy that surrounds gifts. I don't think it has to be that way, but it just tends to draw controversy. Specifically, the miraculous gifts. 
So I've, I've heard this a lot of times. People debate, are they for today? Maybe they're not for today. Should I go to a church that believes in them? Maybe I shouldn't go to a church that believes in them. Should I focus all my attention on these gifts? Should I ignore these gifts? As a Christian, how do I approach these gifts? And so there's a lot of controversy. These questions are not easy. They can be controversial. And because of that, they could divide. They potentially divide. And so again, the Corinthian church, you see this, but in that church, there were controversies swirling all through the church regarding spiritual gifts. Which gifts are more important? Are tongues more important? Are prophecies more important? Is prophecy what we should focus on? Are tongues what we should focus on? Are spiritual gifts more important than spiritual fruit? So there was all this debate going on. You know because Paul was addressing them one by one in this letter. So right from the beginning, from the context of the Corinthian church, you see several things going on regarding spiritual gifts. But we see how spiritual gifts are vital for the church. Should we know know them and use them? Absolutely. Should we desire them? Absolutely. They're vital for the church. In fact, the church can't function without them. And yet, they can also divide the church. People have an intense interest in them, making them all about themselves. It's all carnal. They can also stir up a lot of controversy, driving people into different camps, pushing them to different corners, maybe even pushing people away from the church. So what was happening in the Corinthian church is very much happening today. But there is something else that's happening today that the Corinthian church, from what I can tell, didn't have. But there are many Christians today who have become so Bible illiterate, they don't even know that there are spiritual gifts. They don't even know about them. You know, uh, I read this, but a few years ago, Barna did a survey on spiritual gifts. It was a broad survey throughout the entire country. This is what they found. But back in 1995, only 4% of born-again Christians did not think they had a spiritual gift. Only 4%. Later in 2000, that number rose to 21%. That's a big jump. More recently, they found that 29% of all adults have never heard of spiritual gifts. That's crazy. It went from 4% to now almost a third of Christians in America have never even heard of spiritual gifts. Among Gen Xers, that's me, and younger adults, 40% have never heard of spiritual gifts. And 69% have heard of spiritual gifts, but do not know what their spiritual gift is. So that's a pretty poor picture, right? Vast majority of people don't even know what it is, and those who do know, they don't know what they have. So people are not only intensely interested in spiritual gifts for the wrong reasons, they are not only dividing over the spiritual gifts, more and more people don't even know what they are. And so for all these reasons, Paul commanded the church back then, and we need to hear it more than ever, do not be ignorant about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters. You need to understand them. It is a gift of God's grace, and it is how the church will function. But it's more than that. We'll get into it. And so this is where I want to start today, this whole series, but I want us to uh, be helped. I want to help us not to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Okay, they're far too important. They're far too potentially divisive. We need to understand them biblically. And I want to say this right up front, but I know a lot of you guys already know about spiritual gifts. You might have opinions on them, but many of your assumptions on spiritual gifts are not biblical. I know I'm kind of taking a risk saying that because I don't know all of you and I haven't talked to you about spiritual gifts. But, but from what I've known, from the people I've talked to, a lot of Christians have assumptions about spiritual gifts that are not biblical. 
And I'm not talking about your neighbor, the person you're thinking about right now. I'm talking about you, right? I'm talking about you. And I'm talking about me. But we have a lot of assumptions about spiritual gifts that are simply not biblical. And this is why my only concern through this entire series is to learn what the Bible has to say about spiritual gifts. I'm not here to convince you about my own experiences with spiritual gifts, and I've had a lot of experiences. I'm not here to pass on the teachings of my favorite teacher, and there are a lot of good teachers out there teaching on spiritual gifts. I'll mention a few here and there. But primarily, I want us to know what the Bible says about spiritual gifts so that we can understand them biblically and then exercise them effectively, right? We need to know what the Bible has to say. And don't just assume, well, I already know what the Bible says. No, you don't. (laughs) Because guaranteed, you have assumptions about gifts that are not biblical. So whether you are in the far conservative camp or in the charismatic camp, guaranteed, you have some views about these gifts that are not what is stated in Scripture. Because we just hear a lot of talk about these things from other people and we just kind of formulate our beliefs. But we've never taken the time to actually read what the Bible says in context. And so we are here to see what the Bible says about these gifts. We don't want to be ignorant about these gifts. So this is the way I want to tackle this entire topic. It is a huge topic. It's going to take several weeks. There are so many different passages we can look at. But rather than just really just looking at one passage, I want to structure this entire series around seven common questions regarding spiritual gifts. So seven common questions. And every week, I'm going to try to answer at least one or two of these questions. And so it's going to take some time to work through all of them. But seven common questions on spiritual gifts. I'm just going to tell you right up front. Why are spiritual gifts necessary? What are spiritual gifts? Who has spiritual gifts? Can you lose your spiritual gifts? How many spiritual gifts are there? Are the miraculous gifts still here today? How do I discover my spiritual gifts? So I think that's a pretty good, broad overview of spiritual gifts. If we can answer and get through all those questions, I think you'll have a decent handle, at least the main issues. So today I want to start with the first uh, question, but why are spiritual gifts necessary? Why are they necessary? Well, there are four reasons that I can see. First, they are how the triune God works in and through you. They are how the triune God works in and through you. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. Verses 2 and 6, 2 through 6. Paul's very clear right from the beginning. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. In other words, in whatever way you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So here, Paul makes such an important point. Please do not miss this. But he is explaining to the Corinthians what true spiritual experience looks like. Why do I say that? Well, it's because the Corinthians were fascinated by the gift of speaking in tongues. As you keep reading this entire section in chapters 12, 13, 14, you see that. It's so evident. They were just fascinated by it. And in case you didn't know, the Corinthians came out of a very distinct pagan background. They were not Jews. They were Gentiles, many of them Roman. They were coming from a pagan background. And so maybe some of them equated the gift of speaking in tongues with ecstatic speech that they had experienced in their pagan background. 
So in their pagan background, they had gone to these pagan temples, and we know this from uh, archaeology and history, but a lot of these religious services, pagan services, involved these ecstatic utterances that people would go into, these trances. And so maybe, and I'm just saying maybe because I don't know for sure, but Paul seems to make that implication, maybe the Corinthians were associating speaking in tongues with these ecstatic utterances. Hey, it's the same thing. I know what this is. So they thought their old spiritual experiences, when they were pagan, were the same as their new spiritual experiences as Christians. Is that clear? So that's what Paul is addressing here. And this is what Paul said. They're nothing alike. They are nothing alike. One curses Jesus, whether it actually cursed Jesus or not when you're in that trance. Okay, who's to know? But Paul said one curses Jesus, the other proclaims Jesus as Lord. And so here's the key point Paul's making. True spiritual experiences come from the triune God. Working through spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, that are in you, that are in me. So again, the Corinthians thought, oh, I know what true spiritual experience is like. I I experienced it when I was a pagan in these temples. And Paul's like, that's nothing like true spiritual experience. But rather, true spiritual experience is what you experience when God begins to work through your spiritual gifts. So immediately, do you see how powerful spiritual gifts become? It's not me, oh, I just want to know who I am. (laughs) A lot of people, they go, oh, I just want to know who I am. How did God make me, right? I don't know why I go into that voice. I apologize if you have that voice. (laughs) I'm not making fun of people with that voice. But I'm just saying, you know, why, why, you know, God, how did you make me? But it's so much more than that. But Paul is saying, this is the way you truly experience the triune God. And why do I say triune God? Notice, go back to verse 4. Notice all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned here. This is how big this is, brothers and sisters. Paul said, now there are varieties of gifts. This is coming right after Paul rebuked them. Don't compare speaking in tongues with those pagan utterances. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. He already mentioned Spirit. Now he says Lord, speaking of Jesus. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God, God the Father, who empowers them all and everyone. That is quite a statement. Paul is mentioning all three persons of the Trinity there. So what are we saying? The Corinthians were seeking spiritual experiences, especially through the speaking of tongues. They thought that was similar to their pagan experience when they were having these ecstatic utterances, going to trances. Paul says they're nothing alike. One curses Jesus, the other one proclaims Jesus as Lord. And he said, here's the true spiritual experience. Do you want to know how to experience God? And I know many of you guys are in that boat. I was in that boat for many years. How do I know you, God? How do I experience you? Paul says, I'll tell you how, and not just God in a generic sense, but this is how you experience the triune God, the Spirit, the Son, and the Father, God the Father. How? Through your spiritual gifts. Know your gifts. Begin to operate in your gifts, and this is what's happening, Paul says. The triune living God, Son, Spirit, and God the Father are powerfully working through you, and you are experiencing God. That is a true experience of the living God. And so that is the reality of spiritual gifts. There are many of you who sincerely want to experience God. I believe that. Why? Because you're at this church, right? (laughs) But, But you want to know Christ intimately. You want to experience his presence. You want to know his peace, his joy. You want to hear him speaking to you through the pages of scripture. You want to know his personal care through him answering prayer, your individual prayers. 
I want to believe. I believe that you guys all want that. You truly want to experience the living God. Well, how? Right? Are you going to sign up for the, the latest conference? Are you going to go to the mountains and find a hole in the mountains somewhere and spend a week there? Well, I mean, how do you experience God in your life? Well, Paul's answer, and there's more than one answer, but Paul's answer here is know your spiritual gifts and begin to exercise them. So if you want to experience God in a real way, and not just one person of the Trinity, but all three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, know and exercise your spiritual gifts. So this is the true spiritual experience that God wants you to have. And I've experienced this in my life as well. Again, when I was first a believer, very young, I had powerful encounters with God, and yet it kind of faded, and I was kind of wondering, how, what, what do I do, Lord? And yet God began to show me that little by little, as I began to discover my gifts and walk in them, that is the powerful experience I began to have of the living God. Now, did I have other experiences? Yes, I did. Specific verses cutting my heart. I even had that, you know, today. Even recently, the other day, I shared with uh, two brothers uh, yesterday how God spoke to me this one passage this past week. Circumstances coming together in unexplainable ways. Yes, that's happened. God answering specific prayers in my life. Yes, that's happened. But more than those things, and those things are very precious, the regular way that I've experienced the living God on an ongoing basis is when I'm exercising my spiritual gift of teaching the Word of God. Okay, I might have a few other gifts, but I know that's one of them. Okay, that's a clear one that people have told me I have. I took the survey and it came out. <laughs> the score was high on that. <laughs> but, but that's my spiritual gift. I remember... Uh, Many years ago in Oaxaca, I used to do missions in Oaxaca. I used to teach at a Bible college there and then also go and do missions there. But I remember one time we were in this Oaxacan village. It was uh, maybe in the middle of the week. We had been on the road for many days now. And we ate something. It was like a bad burrito or something. I don't know what it was. And everybody was sick. We were throwing up. We all had uh, food poisoning. And so it was a bad scene. I mean, people were hanging off the hammock, you know, like, oh. A few people had buckets next to them. And I was a little bit sick, too. And in that state, God bless his heart, but the mission leader came up to me going, Roy, uh, you're going to preach in an hour. I'm like, really? I'm like, really? In an hour? And so there was going to be a service in the middle of the street. They had blocked the street, and they had called the people, and they were going to stand there, and they had hung some lights, and there was a guitar, a band, you know, being tuned. And, and so I'm like, okay, how am I going to do this? And so I began to beg God, God, please, God, I don't know, Right? This man told me an hour before to preach. So, so I'm just begging God, please, God, show me what to preach. And then a Bible passage came to my mind. I began to read it. Thoughts came to my mind. So, okay, okay, at least I could have something. And then I go up there in the middle of the street with all these people starting to come. And the moment I open my Bible, I think I've shared this before in a different context, but immediately I sensed the peace of God, and I just began to preach. I began to preach. And it was one of the most easy and effortless times of me giving the word of God because I just knew this is what God wanted me to say at that moment from the word, from the written word. And so what is that? That is me experiencing the living God. Do you see what I'm saying? It is through the exercise of my spiritual gifts. I mean, don't get me wrong. You should have retreats at times. You do need to go to the mountain at times. You need to get away from Twitter and all these things. You should do that. But more than even that, know your spiritual gifts. Begin to exercise your gifts the triune God is working through you. But some of you guys might be thinking, okay, but how many years ago was that? I mean, how often does that happen, right? Really? Is that the most consistent way? 
And I'm here to say yes. Here's a little view behind the curtain. You're like, what curtain? <laughs> but there, you know, there are things that happen to me before I come up here every Sunday. But what happens to me is just a few blocks over in my office as I'm getting ready, the final preparation to come and preach, oftentimes I'm banging my head against the wall. <laughs> and the reason why is because I have my manuscript, I'm staring at it, and I'm like, God, this is pathetic. Okay, this manuscript is going to change nobody. And so often, not every time, but oftentimes I'm in my office. I close the blinds, so don't try to peek in. But I close the blinds, and I have my head against the wall. God, you got to help me. Right? you got to help me. Because what I have here is pathetic. You need to speak, God. You need to reveal yourself, God. And I'm banging my head against the wall. And that happens frequently, maybe more often than it should. And yet, when I come here, and again, not every single time. There are some times where, you know, I don't sense much. But more often than not, not a second before, but right when I come up and I open the Bible, God is with me. I know God is with me. God is going to speak. And so, you know, that's my opinion. You could have your opinion. But, but, but I know, right? Because why? Because this is my spiritual gift. God is working through it, the triune God, and that is how I experience the living God, on an ongoing basis. And so what are you experiencing exactly through your spiritual gift? Because that experience is for you as well. But what are you experiencing? Paul makes it clear. You are experiencing God's power. Paul said the kingdom of God is not about talk. It is about power. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Circle that word, empower. Later, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, Paul says, All these gifts are empowered, same word again, by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So what do you experience when the triune God is working through your gift? His power. You experience his power. And it's not just for the preacher. It's not just for the person who's on the mission field. It is for the person who is making food. Right? You have the gift of hospitality. Small group is going to happen in an hour at your house. You have the power of God flowing through you as you're making that chimichanga. Right? It is happening. It is coming together. It is the power of God in your life. And so I'm not making light of that. I'm serious. Hospitality is a powerful spiritual gift. Immediately, you know when you walk in. You know when it's not there. But you, It's like, uh, can you put like your, your laundry away before we meet? It's like, but the people who have hospitality, you just know. It's like, oh my gosh, I just want to worship God. Your house is so clean. We're ready to worship. So it is God's power working through you. It is the triune God himself working powerfully through your gift. Listen to Sam Storms. He's a pastor and a theologian who's written a lot on spiritual gifts. He's also a Calvinist. Oftentimes those things don't go together. But he's a Reformed Calvinist and a person who believes in all the gifts. But he says, Spiritual gifts are not God bestowing to his people something external to himself. They are not some tangible stuff, quote-unquote, or substance separable from God. Spiritual gifts, rather, are nothing less than God himself in us, energizing our souls, imparting revelation to our minds, infusing power in our wills, and working his sovereign and gracious purposes through us. Spiritual gifts must never be viewed de uh, deistically, meaning just, oh, there's a God out there. As if a God out, oh, that's what he said, as if a God out there has sent 
something to us down here. Spiritual gifts are God present in, with, and through human thoughts, human deeds, human words, and human love. I think that's a beautiful statement. But do you see that? Spiritual gifts is not just, oh, God just dropping something into you. Hey, go do it. But it is the triune God living within you, again, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, working through you, and that's how you experience the living God. So what the church desperately needs in this time, especially during these dark days, more than anything, and you can say amen to this, is the presence and power of God himself. Amen? We need God himself working in the church. And the Bible gives us the most practical thing you can imagine how this God works in and through us. How? Through your spiritual gifts. The church has left the beaten path, and she has spent a lot of time in the weeds of corporate America, listening to leadership gurus, looking at marketing strategies. Again, there's some good in that. I'm not saying all of it is bad. But the church has spent a lot of time in these things, looking for power. Okay, can we get any influence? The church has left the beaten path, and she spent a lot of time in the weeds of spiritual experiences in remote areas, okay, looking for different kinds of gurus going to different conferences, lighting candles, burning incense, growing a beard if you're able to. But they're looking for all these different experiences and the power of God. How do I experience God more? Again, not all of it bad, a lot of it not good. And yet the church is not pursuing the one thing, the most straightforward way you can experience God. Again, using your spiritual gifts. So that's the first reason spiritual gifts are necessary. This is how the triune God works in and through you. Amen? So this is how God works in you. But there's another reason it's necessary. They are how God builds up the church. They are how God builds up the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul said, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So spiritual gifts are not primarily for you to discover yourself and your potential. Again, that will happen. It happened for me, it'll happen for you. But that's not the main purpose. But it's for the common good. Again, you can underline or circle that. And what's the common good? Paul tells us elsewhere, Ephesians 4, 7 through 12. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. I like how Paul simply called these gifts just grace. Grace has been given to you. What's that? These gifts. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men and women. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So I read that entire passage because I wanted you to see that when Jesus gave gifts to people, okay, God here through Paul doesn't mention once, oh, this is for you. Okay, this is to discover your potential. But rather, what did he say? This is for the common good of the church. So he mentions these specific roles of apostle, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and shepherds. But through them, why are they there? So that they could do all the work? No, so that they can actually help the church discover their gifts so that they can be equipped and do the work of the ministry. Do you see that in verse 12? So for example, I'm here. Okay, I'm not saying that I'm a gift to the church. I'm just saying I have gifts. Why? So that you can be a gift to the church, so that you can discover your gifts and serve the church. 
And so this is why God has given us gifts. So spiritual gifts are not primarily about you, the individual. It is about building up the church. And so how did Jesus build up the church through gifts? Well, again, it's very practical. It's not this mystical thing. Oh, as I do my gifts, somehow things just happen. No, it's very, very practical. Jesus organizes the church around gifts. Organizes. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to church planning conferences uh, before I started this church and even shortly after. And they would put a big chart and hand you a big manual and all kinds of ways to organize the church. And all they had to do was just say spiritual gifts. <laughs> and I would have been, amen. But I accepted all that. And I tried to organize the church. And I tried really, really hard. And if you've been on leadership at our church, you know. I love charts. I had all these different charts. I had hundreds of charts to try to organize the church, right? Okay, this person, he's going to carry the chairs where? Here. And then he's going to pass on the bulletin to who? Here. And then here's, you know, point A to point B. And I had all these charts trying to organize the church. And all I had to do was understand spiritual gifts. If people begin to discover their gifts and begin to exercise them, they're going to self-organize. You know, I'm blessed to be a father of three beautiful children. And I remember watching within my wife's womb through the ultrasound how the baby was beginning to form. And a lot of you guys are in the medical field, so I'm just preaching to the choir. You guys can tell me, right? But seeing from just a little embryo, just a few cells, stem cells, and because of what was inherent in those cells, the genetic code and the environment outside those stem cells, what happens? The stem cells begin to self-organize. They begin to go to the different places they need to go to and turn into the proper cells they need to turn into, and that's how a human body forms. Well, the body of Christ is the same way. We are all like living cells, right? And God has placed gifts within us, his grace within us, and the spirit of God. In fact, the triune God within us. And we have this proper environment of the church. And as we begin to exercise our gifts, we get self-organized. You know what, Roy? I'm done preaching. That's the last time I'm going to preach. Don't ask me to preach again. Why? Because I need to be in the back doing AV. Okay, brother. Yeah, that was terrible. Go into the back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> or, or it's like, oh, man, that's the last time I'm going to lead worship. Why? Because I need to be making food. Okay, I love chopping onions. I want to go do that. I don't want to play guitar. So then people begin to self-organize, or maybe vice versa. Okay, don't ask me to make food anymore. That was terrible. I'm going to come up to the front and sing. So people begin to self-organize. And so it's an amazing thing, brothers and sisters. And yet, when I look at the body of Christ these days, and not so much I'm talking about our church, but just broadly, it's like you don't even recognize what the church should be, according to Scripture. You know, Francis Chan gave this kind of ridiculous example, but he said, it's kind of like, and you know, he gets all passionate. He's like, it's kind of like, and you know, he's all screaming. But he's like, the church today is kind of like going into an ice hockey rink, and you see people throwing dead fish at hamsters, right? And I'm like, where's he going with this? <laughs> he's like, they're just chucking dead fish at hamsters. And you're like, what are you doing? They're like, we're playing soccer, <laughs> right? And he's like, I don't even know where to begin with that. <laughs> this is not a soccer field. This is an ice hockey rink. Okay, you don't have a soccer ball, you have dead fish. That's, ham that's a hamster. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't even know where to begin. How do you reorganize all this? And he's like, that's the church today. We have gone so far from what the biblical model is. It's like, where do we even begin? And yet, it's so clear, Jesus organizes the church through gifts. Not only that, Jesus matures the church through spiritual gifts. And so if you were to go back to Ephesians 4 and keep reading, you see clearly the progression, these things are all connected. But Jesus died, rose again, ascended to heaven. Then he gave gifts to men and women, his grace. Once these gifts were given, 
the leaders now equip the rest of the church to discover those gifts, exercise those gifts, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and then what happens? Then the body of Christ gets built up. And if you were to keep reading, then it talks about one of the key important gifts is sharing the truth and love. And as we do that, now the body grows up into the head, which is Christ. And so you see that through the discovery and exercise of gifts, the church matures. It all begins in verse 7, that long chain of events. It all starts with Jesus giving gifts. Don't, don't disconnect all this from one another. They're all connected. It all begins with the giving of gifts. But not only that, Jesus also governs the church through spiritual gifts. And why do I say that? It's because as we begin to discover our gifts, as we begin to self-organize, what happens? Jesus now is in control. It's kind of like we are the army, he is the commander, and now we're in our proper place. Okay, maybe a better analogy would be a marching band. Okay, we went to go see uh, someone in a marching band a few months ago. It was a beautiful thing. It was a competition. But it's a marching band where Jesus said, okay, tuba players, you are way, way too in front. Go into the back. Okay, you guys who are playing the drums, go to the front. Okay, the baton twirler, you're going to be in the very front. And so he's organizing everybody. And once we're organized, then he can, he can guide. He can lead. And so Jesus governs the church through spiritual gifts as well. Okay, he is the Lord. See, if I'm taking business books, corporate, corporate teachings on organizations, and I'm trying to make the church look like that, then who's governing the church? Well, Jesus is still the head. He's always the head. But practically, week to week, he is not Jesus. It's going to be something else. So if we begin to discover our gifts and begin to exercise them, then Jesus is governing. This is his model. So do you see that? This is how the church begins to mature and grow. So this is the second reason why we must know spiritual gifts, our gifts. This is how God builds up the church. But that's not all. And I'm going to run through the last two very quickly because we're going to circle back and revisit in the weeks ahead. But there's another reason we must know our spiritual gifts. It's because, and I lost my place here, they are how God fulfills your call upon your life. They are how God fulfills your call upon your life. Look at Romans 11, 29, and then 12, 1, and then 4. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Again, don't disconnect things in Scripture. Those things are connected. There's a reason why Paul mentioned gifts, and immediately after what? The calling. And both are irrevocable. If God is giving you certain gifts and calling, he's not taking that back. You might neglect it, but he's not taking it back. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Again, why did Paul go into gifts after he talked about your calling? Because they're connected, right? As you discover your gifts, what's going to happen? You're going to discover why you're here. Amen? You're going to discover why you're here. You're here to make disciples, but in what way, what area am I going to help make disciples? Again, going back to my example, I didn't want to be a pastor growing up. I had no idea what a pastor did. The only idea I had was I remember following my mom to church when I was younger, and I sat there staring at a man preaching on the stage. He was kind of far away. It was a big church. And I remember thinking to myself, I think I was in high school, thinking, I feel sorry for this man. 
this is what he does for a living? It's like, I feel sorry for this man. Little did I know, God's like, ha, 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 you're going to be up there. <laughs> feel sorry for yourself. But it's like, wow, that is the last thing I'm going to do. And yet, little by little, as I began to serve in the church, and I did everything right. In the beginning, I used to do the transparencies. Again, this was the 90s, okay, before internet. But there was a device called the transparency device, an overhead projector. Okay, you might see it in museums. But, but it's just got this, like, long neck with a lamp and then, like, a little glass plate, right? You know, Helen. Oh, amen, Helen. Yeah, you know it very well. And, then, yeah, and you just move these transparencies around, and then you see it up here. And it took me a while to figure out that when you go left, it goes right. When you go up, it goes down, right? I had to figure that out. I was like, why isn't this working? But I did a lot of weird things, right? Again, that's not a weird thing. If you're called to do that, do it well for Christ. But, but, if, but for me, I was like, why? You know, I'm just trying all these different things until eventually I had an opportunity to lead a Bible study. And in that moment, I'm like, you know what? I love this. Okay, I understand this. I want to keep doing this. And other people affirmed it. And so then little by little, what happened? I became that man on the stage I felt sorry for. <laughs> I became a pastor. And so this is how your calling in life gets discovered. And so this is a beautiful thing. And so Jesus wants to reveal his will for your life. Again, we make things so mysterious and esoteric. Okay, I want to experience the living God. I got to go to the mountain. I want to know God's will for my life. I'm going to, you know, dig a hole in the ground and spend a week there. I mean, we, we just think weird things. I got to light a candle in my room and then try to imagine Jesus here. And Jesus, tell me my will for my life. And yet, it's very practical. Brothers and sisters, discover your gifts. Discover them. Begin to use them. Be consistent in them. And you're going to know your will for your life. And so that is the third thing. And then finally, they are how you will fulfill God's call on your life. Oh, I'm sorry. I already said that. They are how you will receive a good reward when Christ returns. That is how you're going to receive a good reward. They are directly connected. Matthew 25, 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more saying, Master, you deliver to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So there, Jesus is making this clear parable, the story, making a connection between the talents God has given you. And I like that word because originally, in the original Greek, it's talking about a form of money. It's a denomination of money. But I think the English language took that and used it as actual talents that we have now. You know, the abilities we have. But God has placed talents within you, spirit-empowered talents called spiritual gifts. And based on what you do with them, do you bury it in the ground? Do you ignore them? Or do you actually use them and multiply them? You get a return on them. Based on that, Jesus is very clear. You will be rewarded. So what does this mean? Your reward in heaven is directly connected to your spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters. Again, this is so much more than just, oh, I just want to know who I am. What personality do I have? But this will determine what you're going to enjoy in heaven for all eternity. And I don't want to make too much of the reward because our greatest reward is Christ. So whether you have much or little in heaven, we will all have to the full. But ultimately, though, the rewards you're going to be handed in heaven come through you knowing and exercising your spiritual gifts. Amen? And so we're going to talk a lot more about that, especially when we go into discovering your gifts. But this is the power of spiritual gifts. This is the necessity of spiritual gifts. 
You must understand what these gifts are. You must begin to discover them. And next week, if you come back, you're going to find out what they actually are. Amen? So let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. We give you all the glory, and we worship you, Lord. We thank you that, Jesus, you have been so good to us. But, Lord God, you died for us, you rose again, and you gave us eternal life. And even more than that, you gave us your very presence. That is the most precious gift we have, the living God within us. But now, in addition to that, we learn that you have given us gifts. That is how good you are. You are a giving God. But you have gifted us. Why? So that we may be a blessing. We may serve the common good of the body of Christ so that your church may be healthy and strong and grow and accomplish your will upon the earth. We get to be a part of that. So Lord Jesus, I pray and ask that you will help us as a church to begin to discover what our gifts are and exercise them. Not just here and there, but consistently. And a wonderful byproduct of that is we not only experience you, but we come to know ourselves. We know who we are. And so in every possible way, this is a good thing. So forgive us for neglecting it. Forgive us for not really paying attention to it, thinking it's something beneath us. You command us, desire eagerly the gifts. Do not be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. Thank you, Lord. Help us to obey. In your name we pray. Amen.